good to be back here with you all again, to be able to be in your word. I appreciate Jeff Pinch Hinton, as I called him at, I don't know, 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock Saturday night. Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> and so I appreciate him uh, stepping in the gap there and, and helping us out and helping me out with this. And, but today, we are going to be back here in the book of Proverbs. We are taking some time to study the book of Proverbs over the summer and just to glean some of the wisdom that's here. And uh, before we jump in this morning, I would just ask you to join me in prayer. Would you just bow your head with me? Father, I thank you for um, just your goodness. I thank you for the way that you have displayed that to me this week and to my family. And, and I thank you for just your hand uh, to, that you are in control at, all the time. And uh, in the good and in the bad, I thank you for grace that sustains us when we're suffering and that same grace that allows us to experience joy richly. And I thank you for Christ who does all of this for us. And now as we are in your word this morning, I pray, God, that it would, would uh, just do its work to conform us to the image of Jesus that we might really understand what it means to walk in righteousness. Thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you we get to do it as a family. I pray, God, that, that our hearts would be united together as we fall under your word. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One author that is a difficult author for me to read, but I enjoy reading him, is a Russian author by the name of uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn is, is, is not with us anymore, but uh, he uh, lived during the, was a soldier in, in, uh, for the USSR. For the, I'm trying to figure out what do we call him. Soviet Army, I guess we call it, right? He was a soldier in the Soviet Army. I can't remember what that country was called, right? Soldier in the Soviet Army uh, during World War II. He had written a letter to a friend of his basically not saying nice things about Stalin. That letter made its way through channels and he was thrown into a gulag. And he spent many years in the gulag system and many years as a political prisoner. And, uh, and through that time there, he did a lot of writing. And he would write books about the experience he had in the gulags. And, and he would bury these books in, in jars under the ground. And then eventually, in the 1950s, uh, kind of an underground system was set up to get literature out of Russia so that this literature could be put out, so the world could see what was going on behind uh, the curtain there. And, uh, and, and his books started making their way out. Some would say that, that he's really the reason why uh, the Cold War ended in the sense that, that his writings revealed what was going on uh, in Russia during the Stalinist regime. It's interesting, though, he wrote a book called The Gulag Archipelago, which basically talks about the gulag system. This, Trust me, this isn't going to be as boring as you think it is, okay? There's a point here at the end of this Russian thing here, <laughs> okay? Um, he wrote this, this book, and basically in the book, he described the whole gulag system. It's a four-volume work, heavy, just tough stuff to read some of it, but, but basically describing, you know, why did they have this system and what was behind it all. And, and as he's unfolding it, he's talking about the political ramifications and the social ramifications. It's very deep and very weighty. But then he made this statement, and when I read it, it really impacted me. Because as he's describing all of the wickedness 
in the Soviet Union. All of that wickedness, all of the, the wretchedness that was going on. He has a couple of sentences. Actually, one sentence, one long sentence. And when I read it, I went, wow, this is profound. Listen to what he said. He's reflecting on what's going on in Stalinist Russia, and he says, Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. What he was saying is he's saying, you know, we can look at all this evil going on in Russia. We can look at all this evil going on in the political systems. We could look at all the evil going on with a class system and, the, and, and slaves who are doing slave labor to help the economy of the, of the government going. And, and we could say, there's the evil. It's in, it's in communism. Or there's the evil. It's, it's in the class system. And there's the evil. It's in those rich elite that are taking advantage of the poor. And if we could get rid of the rich elite or get rid of communism or get rid of the class system, we'd get rid of evil. And he says, no, you wouldn't. Because as I thought through all that I went through, he says, I realized that the line of good and evil passes through your heart. We we could get rid of communism and evil would still be there. You could get rid of the, the, the class system and evil would still be there. Evil's a matter of the heart. What is the state of your heart? I thought that was a very profound thing because I realized that's what the book of Proverbs really shows us. In a strange sort of way, what Proverbs does is it takes real life, the stuff we deal with, money, child raising, work, all this kind of stuff, relationships, uh, you know, you know, intimacy, friendships, it takes all of these very kind of one sense, the human existence, and then says, now I want to look at what a righteous heart, how a righteous heart approaches this, and I want to look at how a wicked heart approaches this. When a wicked heart approaches money, this is what happens. When a righteous heart approaches money, this is what happens. And what, he, what, what Proverbs does is it draws that line of existence through your heart. And in one sense, you don't look, I don't believe we should be reading Proverbs as, as just a how-to on how to live. Proverbs is really a heart inspection. It's looking at your heart and saying, what is going on in there? Is it wicked or is it righteous? And when it's looking at life on the outside, what it's doing is it's saying, use that as fruit. What fruit do you see? So we can look at the state of your heart. It's very powerful. Now today, we're going to get an opportunity to walk through some verses in Proverbs 12 through 17. When you look at 12 through 17, I see four questions. Four very popular questions that people ask all the time. It's the questions in your bulletin there. Why can't we all get along? Why do people do foolish things? Why is there so much greed? Why are there so many scams? Right? These are questions people ask all the time, right? Why can't we get along? What do we need to do to get everybody just to be tolerant and enjoy each other and, and, and be nice to each other? Why can't we have that? And some would say, well, the answer to that question is uh, we need to have better education on getting along. 
And if we could have more educational programs and more people would get along. Right? Some people want to know, why are there so many people who just do so many dumb things and, 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 and they're just always doing the wrong thing at the wrong time? Well, maybe the issue is their family. Maybe the issue is they should go back and blame their parents and go dig around for dirt back there. And if they could just get all that resolved, they wouldn't be a fool. Right? Maybe that's the issue. Or Why is there so much corporate greed out there? And maybe the issue here is we just got to de- get away with the corporations, do away with them all, and, and just get everybody to be on the same level, and that will answer the question. You see... People are always looking at the outside. Proverbs says, let's not look there to answer those questions. Let's not deal with the issue of getting along or the issue of folly or the issue of greed or the issue of you know, scam artists ripping people off. All as an external thing. What would happen if we took these four questions and had you look at your own heart? How would you answer them? That's what we're going to do today. We're going to ask the question... We're going to look at how Proverbs then drives us back to our own heart. Because I agree with Solzhenitsyn. That that line of good and evil is going to pass through the condition of my heart. What is the state of my heart? So let's tackle these questions. Let's look at them here. And then let's examine the heart answer to all of them. Because I really believe that if our heart issue is resolved we'll be able to answer these questions. We'll actually have an answer to them. We actually can provide a thoughtful answer that actually resolves the problem. So let's look at the first one. Why can't we all get along? Very common question. People ask that all the time. Why can't we get, why isn't, why do people run around and do things? Why do people, why is there conflict? Why are there people who just can't handle life and they're always stirring up trouble? And why are there people in your life that when you walk in a room with them, everything just blows up? Why? Okay, well, let's look at the answer to that question. Verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Now, let's look at the word strife there so we can understand what the text is saying. When it's talking about strife, what it's talking about is is quarreling, conflict, that kind of sense that everything's getting out of control, no one's getting along, and there's just fighting everywhere. Or, or it doesn't necessarily have to be like physical fighting. It can be emotional, just general strife. I like to think of strife this way. You know when you're washing the dishes and, and, uh, and, and the water, the bubbles in the water start going down, and all of a sudden you're left with like, you know, water with no bubbles. You could just stick your hands in there and stir up the bubbles again, right? You should actually dump the water out and put fresh water in. But, but anyways... But before you do that, if you want to, you can stir up the bubbles again. That's what strife is. Strife is the idea of somebody's just stirring things up. They're just stirring it up, stirring it up. Now, here's what he's saying. What stirs up strife? Hatred does. Now, what is hatred? Let me define hatred for you. Something goes wrong in your life. What happens? The human fleshly response when something goes wrong is to want revenge. It's not justice. It's really revenge. Right? That if you really are honest about it, how dare you do that to me? Don't ever do that again. And to make sure you don't, I'm going to lecture you for the next hour, or I'm going to punish you for the next hour, or I'm going to turn my back and not talk to you for the next Whatever it is. Whatever way you're going to let this person know they have wronged you, you're going to do it. Now, that's really revenge. It's not justice revenge. 
That's hatred. Hatred is that thing inside of you that defines the person by the sin that they just committed. I'm going to define you by that sin. You were just mean to me. You're a mean person. And I'm not going to let you do that to me anymore. Right? Boom. That's the fleshly response. We all have it. Right? We all do. That's, that's where the flesh goes. And the flesh suddenly wants to punish. And the flesh wants to hurt. The flesh wants to let the person know how hurt they are. The flesh wants to hurt the person back so that they could see how hurt you are. Right? All that kind of thing. The flesh does not say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? The flesh says, Father, show them how horrible they are. Right? It's what the flesh wants. It's okay to admit that. You can nod your head. Okay? Right? That's our fleshly response. Now, that in, in, his, in his essence is hatred. Defining the person by their sin. Treating them according to their sin. Punishing them according to their sin and trying to control them so that they'll never sin against you that way again. That's flesh. Now he says hatred is what stirs up strife. You see, what stirs up strife actually wasn't the sin they committed against you. It was the reaction you had to that sin. That's the iron. That's, the, that's where, when, when you say, okay, good and evil passes through my heart, I suddenly am not going to say, okay, you, you're a mean person, and therefore I'm going to make sure you're not mean again, and I'm going to drive you to the ground so you don't do it again. That's what stirs up strife. What would happen if when you were sinned against, your response was, Father, forgive them, restore them, change them? What would happen? Well, you'd be the second part of that proverb. Love covers. Right? What says, that's what the second part says. Hatred stirs up strife. Love covers all offenses. Notice the key word there that, that we'd like to pass over, because I think our flesh would write it this way. Hatred sometimes could stir up strife, and love should only cover a certain amount of offenses that don't really make me die to myself. Right? <laughs> that's how we'd want to define that, that proverb. Right? If we could be honest. But what's he saying? No, love covers all. Now you say, wait a minute. Am I becoming an enabler? Am I turning my back? Am I living in denial? No. But I would say this. Before God would ever want me to deal with your sin in your life, if you sinned against me, my first step is I should work at forgiving you. Because that's going to change me from being a punisher to a restorer. Because in confronting your sin, in confronting your sin, my intention should be to restore you to God and to restore our relationship. It should not be to punish you. So if Mike offends me, my goal shouldn't be, Mike, I'm going to make sure you never offend me again, buddy. And I'm going to protect the rest of this church from you by taking you down, right? That's what hatred would do. Love would say, wait a minute, I want Mike to be restored with God and I want Mike to be restored to the church. But the first thing i got to do is forgive him. And before I ever talk to him, I want to forgive. God, forgive my hatred towards Mike. Give me a heart to restore him. God, the same grace 
that was given to me at the cross, let that motivate how I deal with this problem with Mike right now. I don't have any problems with Mike right now. That's why I picked on him. Okay. <laughs> okay. You see, that's what he's saying. Hatred. Why can't we all get along? I'll tell you why we can't get along. Because our first fleshly response is not to seek to forgive someone, but it's to seek to punish someone. But the great thing about the cross is that the point of the cross was to forgive. The point of the cross was for Jesus to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And the point of being connected to Christ is to say, I want that kind of love to take over my heart so that when this offense occurs, my first goal isn't to punish the person. But my first step is I want to forgive them. I want to forgive them. I was glad for this proverb because when you have a family crisis, as we've had this past week, it surfaces the dysfunctions in your family, doesn't it? And I had many opportunities to work on this this week. So I'm preaching this to myself as much as I'm preaching it to you. These, these are hard things. And sometimes you get pushed to the end. And there were moments when I had to step off into the chapel room of the hospital and say, God, I have no desire to forgive right now. Please change that. I'm ready to stick a fork in someone's eye. Right? I don't want that. Well, I do. That's the problem. Right? But change my heart, God. Why is there strife? The answer to that question is because we don't deal with the hatred in our own hearts. If we deal with the hatred that's in our hearts, then we can endure whatever garbage people throw our way. And suddenly we don't have to say, change my wife, change my husband, change my child, change my boss. Suddenly it doesn't matter now. God, give me a heart to forgive. I want to cover the sin. That's what covering means. It means I want to cover the offense. I want to recognize that Christ died for that offense. And I want forgiveness to reign so that when we talk about that offense, we're talking about it with restorative words and not condemning words of revenge. Why is there strife? Because we don't deal with our anger. Let's look at the second one. Why do people do foolish things? I don't know if I warned you this ahead of time or not, but this is really going to deal with your heart this week, these passages, these verses. It's very, very intense and very personal in one sense. Let's look at the second one. Why do people do foolish things? I remember I worked at a place, and you guys have probably seen this. Maybe some of you even have this at your work. A sign where somebody said, uh, it was a sign above somebody's desk. I worked with this person, and they had a sign. How can I soar like an eagle when I'm surrounded by so many turkeys? Have you seen that sign? You know? And what they were saying is, you know, there's just lots of foolish people around. Why? Let's look at verses 13 and 14. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Now these two verses, 13 and 14, they're parallel verses. They're saying the same thing. 14 is, is the main point. 13 is the picture. It's a poetic picture. It's the artistic way of saying it. Well, I'm going to start with verse 14, then we'll back up to 13 to look at the picture that he paints. 14 is the point. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Okay, what does this mean? Very simple. The wise person is the person who says, 
I don't know and I need to investigate. I want help and I want to take the help that I'm given. I'm going to seek wise counsel, I'm going to collect wise counsel, and I'm going to ask for wisdom. I remember, because I was reading a lot of Proverbs this week, I remember just this, these words came out of my mouth. At one point, I was with a doctor, uh, the kidney doctor, who was telling me some things and some big decisions that we needed to make as a family, and, and it was five in the morning, and they had woken me up, and I was kind of disheveled, and it was Monday morning, and I was in the hospital, they kind of woke me up, and the, and the kid actually says, we got, we got three decisions we need to make right now. Boom, 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 boom. She's just rolling them off, right? I, I don't know if I could spell my name at this point. I'm kind of confused. And so the first thing that comes out of my mouth was, what's the wisest thing to do in your opinion? And she goes, hmm, I've never been asked that question before. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm studying Proverbs. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, that's literally what I said. I'm studying Proverbs right now. I'm sorry. I don't, you know, just this easily... These are the questions. She's like, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm like, well, that's what I want. The wisest thing to do. I have no clue. I'm not a kidney specialist. You've got to tell me what's wise. But you see, this is the point. He's saying, listen, what happens is the wise are always seeking and always learning in, in a good way. God, I don't, I'm going to walk into a situation. I don't know what to do. Give me the wisdom. Give me the wisdom. Give me the wisdom. But notice the second part of verse 14. But the mouth of a fool brings ruin. You have to notice, this is the mouth of a fool. And here's the picture of the mouth of the fool. Okay? The mouth of the fool is the one, and, and somebody will come and they, they want advice, right? They say, okay, here's my problem, and they lay it out for you. You listen, and you pray with them, and then you say, okay, here's what the scriptures would say you would do. First, you do this, and second, you would do this, and third, you'd do this. And then the fool interrupts you. No, 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 you don't understand my situation. Here's our situation. And they just start talking. And they don't listen to what you're saying. They just start talking, 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 talking. Telling you why this doesn't work. Why this won't work. Why this situation is different. Why their situation, this doesn't apply. On and on it goes. So I remember talking to somebody one time and they had a problem. Uh, and, and, and I said, well, first thing we should do is, is take the log out of your own eye. You have a conflict with somebody. What are some of the areas in your own heart that you should work on? No, you don't understand the situation. The mouth of the fool brings ruin. Your talking and over-talking the wisdom will be your destruction. The wise person sits and says, tell me. What does it mean to take a log out of my own eye? How should I do that? Why is that important? How will that help me? But the moment the, the fool, what does the fool do? The fool wants to keep talking and telling you why the wisdom doesn't work. They, they, what they do is they talk it away. They affirm it. Oh, you're exactly right. But then their statement, what does it do? It dies the death of a thousand qualifications. Yeah, you just affirmed it and then you just told me why it doesn't work. So now here's the picture. You go back up to verse 13. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. The one who's saying, oh, I want to know, I want to know, and then when they speak, wisdom comes out. But, notice the picture then, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The rod was a source of discipline. What he's saying is now that the fool 
who never listens to it. Maybe, maybe they hear it, but then they qualify it away and they never do it. They're the ones now that have all the problems in their lives. They're the reasons why everything is always falling apart all the time. They're constantly in trouble. It's because you don't stop to listen. You explain it away, and you know what happens? Your life is one constant discipline session after another, after another, after another. Why are there fools? There are fools in this world because people don't bother to say, you know what, I'm not God. I'm not God, but there is a God, and I need to fear him and submit to him. The fool, when he hears the word of God, stands equal and above it and begins to say why it won't work and tear it down. Why this is not the wisest thing right now. Yeah, you can give me all that Bible stuff, but that's the fool, right? They rise above the word of God, tear it down, and therefore they don't fear God. And hence, they do foolish things. So why are there foolish people? Why do people do foolish things? Because people don't fear God. They don't fear God. They don't say, I will submit and listen to it no matter how much I have to die to myself to it. The fool is trying to protect themselves and then they tear down the word of God. Okay, third question. Let's keep moving along here. Why is there so much greed? That's a big question in our culture today. It's part of the cultural narrative, isn't it? Big business, corporate greed, all of these kind of things. Why is it there? Is the solution, let's just blow up all the businesses, get rid of all the wealth, and there would be no greed? Here's what the human heart, this is how we'd answer it if you look at the human heart. Look at verse 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, but the poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Now this is a, a pretty powerful verse here. You've got to look at verse 15 here. These work together. Verse 15 is kind of stating a reality. Notice the reality. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Now, it's simple. And I'm going to make a statement. Do not write this statement down. Okay? Because on one hand, you're going to, I can't believe you just said it. And I don't want you misquoting me. Okay? It is better to be rich than poor. Now, that's a statement of reality, isn't it? If your car broke down, wouldn't you like to have $250,000 in the bank? Yes? Yes, it's okay to admit that. Yes, if you had $250,000... Now, trust me, we're going to qualify all this. But it is totally true that if you had $250,000 of dis, you know, disposable income in the bank and your car broke down, you wouldn't even worry about it, right? You wouldn't blink an eye. Now, if you had a job that was 30 miles away and you were only getting paid $11 an hour, and you were barely making it to survive, and your car broke down, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? Be horrible. It's totally true. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor man is their ruin. In one sense, that verse is true. In one sense. From an earthly perspective, from an earthly perspective, Having physical resources 
is experientially better in this world than not. Okay? Now, what tends to happen, though? People tend to think that because if you had money in the bank to cover a car repair and so you didn't worry about it, you'd say, well, yeah, that, that's, that's a good thing. But yet, on the other hand, some people say, I'm going to trust and live for that strong tower of wealth. What I'm going to do is I'm going to see that it is, it, in one hand, it is emotionally and experientially true that having resources is better than not having resources. But then what does the flesh want to do with that? The flesh says, well, then if it's good, that's what I'm going to live for. And so now the resources become the tower upon which I defend and live my life. And so the rich man, his wealth is his city. That's what protects him. And experientially, he's got evidence to prove that. It's what protects him. And it is true that there are some people who are so poor and they're so malnourished because of their, their, their being poor and in such a state of poverty around the world. There are people dying of malnutrition, right? I, I throw away more food in a year than these people will eat. It is totally true. And there are people who are dying and starving. And it is true that their life is bad. That is totally true. And, and, but yet what I don't want to do is stand at this moment and say, well, it's better to be rich. Therefore, I'm going to be rich. Because this is where verse 16 then brings the wisdom. The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. Yes, it is true on one level. Having stuff provides strength. But living for that stuff brings death. It brings death. The wage of the righteous is what leads to life. The people who say, you know what? I'm going to trust that the Lord will provide, like we sung this morning. The Lord will provide. I will trust in the provision of God. I will trust in his provision. And I am not going to then take the, the reality that the, that the wealth of, is a strong city. I'm not going to take that one sense on a one plane and say that's what I'm going to live for because once I start living for that, I'm going to become wicked and I'm going to start living for money. And once I start living for money, what happens? The gain of the wicked is sin. My life will fall into shambles. And so the pursuit of life is righteousness. The reason why there is greed in the world is not because there are big businesses. The reason why there's greed in the world is because people trust in money. And they think money will give them life. They forget it is the righteousness of Christ that gives you life. He is the pearl that is so precious that it's worth giving your life up for. It's worth giving up all your riches for. It's worth saying, I'll be poor and destitute, and I'll be beaten to death over losing Christ. I will not exchange Christ for this world. The reason why there's greed in the world is because people believe that money and wealth and status and power gives them life. And it doesn't. That's why there's greed. And the issue is, what do you live for? You are, the, you are either living for this world or for Christ. That's it. Living for Christ, you get life. Living for this world, you get sin and death and destruction. Okay, let's look at our last question. Why are there so many scams 
Now, there's probably a better way to ask that question. The basic question is, why do people lead others astray? Maybe that's a better way to answer that question. Why do, why do people lead others astray? What is the, the issue here? You know, when I lived in, a, in Alaska, uh, there was a particular season where there was this crab opening where people go fishing for crab, and there's one week of the year this certain crab is available, and it's in the wintertime usually, around late February. So the waters are really rough, really dangerous. And this particular crab is a special kind. I don't remember what it's called, but it's a special kind, very expensive. And, uh, and some guys will go out, and for this one week of fishing, they can earn hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right? It's, it's just that precious of a commodity because this crab only runs through at this depth only this certain time of year for one week. But it's February. The waters can be horrible, dangerous. When I was up there, living up there, there was a, a situation where the, the, the crab opening was coming and the boats were getting ready and the guys were getting their pots on their boats and they are getting ready to head out. And, and they all headed out and we were watching the weather reports and a huge storm was coming. And all the fishermen said, we're going to anchorage up. We'll probably miss this. There is no way that we could make it through this storm. We'll, we'll die. And so the boats are beginning to go off in these little harbors to anchorage up to get protected. And there was one family in town where the dad had his family on board. His kids, his wife, you know where the story's headed. He thought to himself, if I can get to the other side of the storm, I'll be the only guy there. I'll get all the crab myself. It's worth it. Family died. Just brought them all down. Why? Verse 17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. We don't live in a vacuum, and the decisions that we make impact others. This father had his family on his boat, and he had a responsibility to care for them all the rest of the ships, and they, they usually fish in teams, were saying, get out, it's too dangerous. Get out, it's too dangerous. His response was, I'll make it through, and I'll be the only one on the other side. He didn't make it through. He didn't listen. When every single veteran sailor is taking their boat into an anchorage, why would you not heed that instruction? Why wouldn't you listen to that? You see, the wise person says, I want to hear what you have to say. And the reason why they're scams, the reason why people hurt people, the reason why there are fathers who lead their families in bad paths or moms who, who, who lead their, their families in bad paths or, or people who make bad decisions and hurt people and spiritual leaders who do bad things that hurt people, all this kind of stuff, the reason why that's there is not because of some institutional issue. It's the fact that at the end of the day, people do not listen to wisdom. They don't. And you realize this, 17 is a very powerful statement, especially if you're a parent in this room, that the decisions that you make impact the people around you. We don't live in a vacuum. No matter how independent we want to be in the United States, God did not design us to be independent. He put us in communities. He put us with families. He put us with children. He put it so that we would be together. When he, when, he, when, he, when he decided to redeem people and put the plan of redemption together in his head, he put it together so that we would be together in this thing called the body of Christ. 
He didn't just say, I'm saving a bunch of individuals, and then they'll all get to heaven and have their own individual home on their own individual cul-de-sac with no neighbors around them. He says, you're in a community. You're one. And the people who heed instruction are on the path to life, but the one who rejects reproof, they lead others astray. Why do people hurt other people? At the end of the day, they hurt other people because they don't listen. They have the babbling fool syndrome. They overtalk the wisdom of God and kill it off with all their qualifications. So we had four questions today. Why can't we all get along? Why can't we get along? We, we don't get along because people don't deal with the hatred in their own hearts. Why do people do foolish things? People do foolish things because they don't fear God. They don't say, God, I, I need your wisdom. Why is there greed in the world? Because people think that money brings life. They don't realize it's Christ that brings you life. Young people, if you're living for Christ, you'll have life. A life much more than, 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 than money could ever give. Why do there are so many scams? Why do people hurt each other? Why do people bring destruction in their homes, in their families, and in their workplaces, and in other places? Because people don't humble themselves and listen to wise counsel. Solzhenitsyn was right. The line between good and evil passes through our hearts. It passes through our hearts. And if we're going to really deal with the issues of this world, it's not going to be in a political conversation. It's not going to be in a social conversation. It's not going to be some kind of construct. It's going to be, first and foremost, us dealing with our hearts. I like to say it this way. When it comes to the gospel, let's be eyes out. And when it comes to conflict and problems, let's be eyes in. Right? Let's be eyes in. So there's four things that I've kind of gleaned from this text I want to share with you, and then we'll, we'll close here. Four things about our hearts that, that hit me in this passage. Four great themes. The first great theme is the heart of forgiveness. My response to conflict, what I'm trying to do, I should say this way, in my life is I'm trying to shorten my response time so that, that I can get to a heart of forgiveness quicker. That's my goal. I want to, by this time next week, have a faster heart to forgiveness. And that's what I'm just praying. God, just, I want to go quicker there. I want to go quicker. When I'm sinned against, I want to go to forgiveness first, not revenge. Heart of forgiveness. Second, fear the Lord. I do not want to think that I know more than the Scriptures know. Right? That my wisdom somehow can invalidate all the truth that's in the Bible. And that I don't have to listen. I want to fear God. God, I want to live for you. The third thing, I want to pursue the righteousness of God that's found in Christ. I want to. I want to pursue that. I want to say, that's what I want to live for. Not money, not wealth, not house, not my next step in the pay scale and all of that. I want the life of righteousness and trust God for my physical resources. And fourthly, humility that listens to the wisdom of others. That when somebody wise is talking to me, that I would respond with humility and not justifying my actions so that I don't hurt others because I live in a community. The line between good and evil passes through our hearts. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for this heart check. Lord, I am so convinced that if these truths were really owned in our hearts, that we could handle anything that comes our way. Believe that. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, shorten our response time. Help us to go to forgiveness first, not our revenge shielded in some kind of sense of pretend justice. Lord, let us live for your righteousness. God, just change our hearts that we might respond with a heart towards you. Lord, I believe we can handle it. We can go through this life and whatever is before us each day. If our heart is set and living for Christ. So Lord, please change us so that we might be that way. In Christ's name, amen.